Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edgy Talk. Lane Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, here we are then. As if we didn't know, as if it hasn't happened before, as if we trusted them, as if all of this is unexpected. To tell you the truth, I'm so sick of the hypocrisy now, I'm not entirely surprised. But still, I mean really, wine and cheese, laughing at us, trolling the very people that pay for their very existence, the people that paid for the party that never was. Cummings, Hancock, Johnson, Williamson, Ferguson, Rob, Reese Mogg, good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on a day when the government is literally teetering on the edge of a massive wave of revulsion and calls for the heads of the Prime Minister and several of his key aides. Allegra Stratton, still earning a six-figure salary for doing God knows what, is seen laughing and joking in a video made last December with broadcast media advisor Ed Oldfield about the so-called fictional party held inside Downing Street while the rest of the country was in lockdown when people had cancelled their family Christmas, when people were unable to travel, unable to spend their final hours of life with loved ones, when people had cancelled weddings, postponed trips abroad, spent hours comforting their children who hadn't been in school for months on end. It's a video that only encourages the belief that those running the country think they aren't governed by the same rules as the rest of us. Today, Sir Keir Starmer, not averse to a bit of hypocrisy himself, so I'm not going to paint him uh, as some kind of saintly figure, uh, we'll be live on Talk Radio with Prime Minister's Questions, taking on Boris Johnson, who was already dipped out of a media briefing, along with Sajid Javid, who cancelled his morning round of interviews as well. What's wrong with these people? Don't they think that they have to answer to us? Don't they realise that we pay their salaries? Don't they know that without us, the people, there is no government, there is no money, there is no common sense? So don't treat us with disdain, please. Do not ever take us for granted. Do not think that the rules that you make us follow are somehow not applicable to you because that, my friends, is the way to the end of your careers as politicians, okay? Make no mistake, this government is in trouble, the people are angry, and this is not going to end well. 0344 499 1000. First up this morning, we're talking to Tobias Elwood, Chair of the Defence Select Committee. We'll get his take on what Boris should do now. And he'll also tell us what he makes of the antics of the Foreign Office over Afghanistan, where people couldn't be bothered going back to the office to help with the airlift and to help save some lives in that particular part of the world. Sun columnist and former political editor Trevor Kavanagh is here as well. Is this the final straw 
for Boris Johnson. Is this the end of his legacy? 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Tonya Buxton will be here as well. She's hopping mad about this latest breach of public trust from Downing Street. And she'll be talking about the lost children and another threat of lockdown. Peter Cardwell, our political editor, will join us as well for Prime Minister's questions as Labour sharpened the knives for the Prime Minister, live on Talk Radio TV. You won't want to miss a second of that. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. Is it time for the Tories to understand that it is now time for a change? And is it time to start thinking about getting Liz Truss prepared for the job? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, the one place where hypocrisy does not exist, it would seem. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, before we talk to Tobias Elwood, let's just remind ourselves of what happened last December in Downing Street. I've Ed? just seen reports from Twitter that there was a Downing Street Christmas party on Friday night. Do you recognise those reports? <laughs> I went home. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Um, uh, uh... Would the Prime Minister condone uh, having a Christmas What's the answer? I don't know. I didn't want the party. It was cheese and wine. Is cheese and wine all right? It was a business meeting. I'm joking. This is recorded. This fictional party was a business meeting. And it was not socially distanced. Um, I'm not often lost for words, uh, Tobias. Very good morning to you. Um, But this is pretty awful, isn't it? Yeah, and I think in your summary, you you actually articulate uh, the concern, the frustration, the anger of of many people that uh, we still have questions uh, to be answered. And instead of getting ahead of the story, instead of qualifying what happened, uh, it's been allowed uh, to run. It's understandable that the government wants to focus on this coming Christmas because we've got this Omicron variant and we don't know whether new restrictions, restrictions will be brought into place but ultimately, at the moment, we, we need to have a conclusion to what happened last Christmas. In my view, we need to perhaps allocate a senior independent person, maybe Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, the head of the civil service, or another independent voice to look into this, to offer the clarification that's been called for. And then if any further action is then required. Until that happens, I'm afraid this story will probably continue to run. Well, I can't imagine what Boris Johnson is going to say today because at Prime Minister's questions, I mean, if Sir Keir Starmer doesn't manage to land a, a couple of decent blows to him, uh, people will be incredibly surprised. But surely at this point, Boris will have to admit that this was a party because he's been con- he's been uh, sort of condemned to denying that it was a party. Dominic Raab was on with Julie Hartley Brewer yesterday. She actually said to him, what do you call an event um, in a building which involves people who work together, having drinks, having cheese, having secret Santa exchange gifts. Um, And he said, I'm not going to answer a hypothetical question. Well, it's no longer a hypothetical question, surely. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of aspects to that. Firstly, is the fact that this video was released in the first place. How did this get out? Mm. You know, how can machine operating that allows these sort of things to take place? And there isn't this atmosphere of trust uh, inside uh, number 10 itself. And I know the prime minister will, will be concerned about that. But ultimately, I do hope that we'll hear some uh, some action from the Prime Minister to clarify how we're going to deal with this. Because much as we want answers to this, there are so many other pressing questions, so many other issues that uh, domestically and indeed internationally, not least 
you know, Ukraine, Afghanistan, that we also need the government to focus on yeah. right now. And I will talk to you about those uh, in due course, because I do want to talk about that as well, Tobias. But, but unfortunately, as you know better than anybody, you know, the narrative is dictated by the media to a large extent. Uh, and although a lot of newspapers haven't put this on the front page, the Daily Mail and The Guardian, two uh, rather unusual bedfellows, have done so. Um, and it would seem very clear that the look is more important in a way than what actually happened. I was listening to Charles Walker MP this morning, you know, who's not known to be a great defender of, uh, of Boris Johnson, but he was kind of saying, look, the thing is, it doesn't matter really in a way what happened and what the fa what the facts were. It's the fact that it looked so bad in the same way that when uh, MPs' expenses were under the spotlight, many MPs hadn't done anything wrong, but the public saw it as a massive sort of dereliction of duty and the public see this as a massive betrayal and a massive mocking of everything that we all had to go through last Christmas. Yeah, I mean, when you speak to some of the people who worked in number 10, you say, well, sometimes why don't you provide clarity in what's going on? Why don't you just try and draw a line under the event? And there's this phrase, don't explain, don't apologize, as if that is the approach. That's the strategy that you can just weather the storm yeah. on and, and avoid it. And I think the British people will actually prefer to, to you know, have the honesty, the clarity as to what's going on, uh, but also the intention of what the government wants to do about it. If I understand correctly, it sounds like this was some staffers that got together uh, you know, to have uh, some form of event in number 10. That's why I'm saying, I, I, personally, I would like to hear the Prime Minister say there will be an internal investigation by somebody who's, who's credible, who's independent, such as the Cabinet Secretary, you know, Sir Humphrey Appleby type, character if there are questions further to be asked if this then needs to be slid across to the police then so be it but then at least the country the nation the people can be satisfied that this is being dealt with and at the moment that isn't the case but don't you think as well Tobias that he needs to act in a way Boris now because surely uh, if he knew about it then he has to resign um, if he didn't know about it he has to fire Allegra Stratton at the very least and possibly Oldfield as well um, and I think he has to take action. I don't think the public will accept a let's have an inquiry kind of conversation, which then pushes it into the long grass and everybody forgets about it. I don't think they're going to wear that. I think we need to see a list of who was there. I'd like to see that list of 50 names because I'm sure it exists somewhere. I'd like an, an MP, uh, and I'm not going to make it so that you have to ask the question, but I'd like some MP to ask the question, can we see the list of attendees, please? Yeah, and these, but these are all exactly the sort of questions where somebody independent then can... can do the proper well, why not ask the question today and ask Boris to give us an, uh, an assurance that he will make that list public? Why shouldn't he? We paid for it. You, you could do, but you know the theatre of, uh, of, of Prime Minister's questions probably isn't the place where you're going to get that. It would be wise, I think, for the Prime Minister to give an indication as to where things are going to go. You mentioned Charles Walker. You know, he's a powerful backbench senior voice uh, involved in the 1922 um, these are the sort of people that don't put their heads above the parapet unless there's genuine concern. Um, so I do hope that, as I say, we can actually provide an avenue which will not only satisfy the British people in the press as well, but also backbenchers too. Because like I said, there are so many other important things that we need to be focusing on now. As well, well, there are. But the people's um, assertion and the people's sort of acquiescence has been built around doing things that they're asked to do by the government, in some uh, cases being told to do them by the government, I think those days are over. I think people have had enough. They've seen, as I said, that list of, of names, Williamson, um, Cummings, Johnson, you know, Dominic Raab, you know, the list goes on and on and on, Neil Ferguson, all these people who are telling us how to behave and who are simply not behaving in the same way. And so people are just going to say, no, thanks, we're not doing it anymore. 
you touch on something that's very important. I mean, throughout this and during pandemic, there's been three issues that have always been a concern. The health of the nation, you know, making sure that we get the vaccinations, trying to keep our economy open. So, you know, having that uh, uh, transparency, ability to move around. And the third one is, is the consent of the nation. If you're going to introduce restrictions, if you're going to impose conditions on how we can move, which we're not used to, you need the will of the people to sign up to that. And if you lose that trust, because the people who are giving that message can't be trusted, then that uh, that uh, consent is eroded. And that's it will be a concern. Well, it will be more than a concern, I think. What should Boris do then today when he gets up in Prime Minister's questions? In your view, what does he need to do to put an end to this? I think, like I said, you know, we don't have all the answers. Uh, we're not going to get them in Prime Minister's questions. That isn't the location where we're going to get it. What we need is a plan, uh, a, a very clear uh, action as to where we're going to go, which is why I'm saying first step would be for an independent you know, uh, voice here, such as the Cabinet Secretary. There is precedent for this when issues like this have crept up in the past, that somebody is brought in to take a look, to discuss. You're talking about you know, what happened on the number 10 estate. It would be absolutely right for the Cabinet Secretary uh, to look into this and then report back. But does it not seem to you that the problem with this is that it shows an attitude and it reveals a sort of arrogance inside of the corridors of power uh, where a lot of these very often young, overprivileged people who have come from very good backgrounds and who have come through, you know, university educations have never really known hardship in their lives, laughing effectively at all the things that they think they can get away with doing. I think there's, there's that. The other element you could add to that um, is the fact that there are backbench MPs on the Conservative Party, that absolutely default position is to want to support the government. But after what we saw with Owen Patterson uh, as well, where the mm. government was something which was uh, indefensible as such, that you need to press the reset button, you need to regroup, you need to uh, strengthen that bond between what Number 10 does uh, and Parliament as well. And I was hoping that was going to happen after that sort of uh, seminal moment um, when uh, uh, there was this, you know, uh, 180 degrees turn um, after the Owen Patterson legislation collapsed, quite rightly. Yeah. And we're told that Boris Johnson's cancelled a media briefing that was due to be held later on today uh, on COVID. Uh, we're told that Sajid Javid was due to do the rounds this morning on various broadcast media, pulled out of it. You know, so the government policy is now being affected by this Christmas party story. Um, surely that means that, as Alistair Campbell famously said, um, when something else becomes a story or when an individual becomes a story, it's time to go. Yeah, I mean, again, you're making judgments and, and, and on... on the I am making judgments along with the rest of the country. That's what we're here for. I'm not, I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is, at the moment, what you're seeing is number 10 go to ground. Uh, I'm hoping that given who's been going into number 10 this morning, that they are regrouping, that they're going to come out with clarity, uh, which will be accepted, as I say, by uh, the media, by the British people, and indeed by you know, parliamentary backbenchers as well. All right. Final question on this, and then we'll move on. Um, is this the final straw for Boris Johnson? I think he's weakened now to a point where he's not going to go today or tomorrow, but I think he's not going to last another year. No, I mean, this Boris Johnson, his energy, his dynamism, um, his, his sheer you know, determination is what uh, allowed many MPs who got elected to be elected at the last election. This is happening midterm. If we don't learn from this, then yes, absolutely, we will be punished. So in a way, we have by-elections that are taking place at the moment too. 
the next election is is not for a little while away. If we don't learn from this, then absolutely, then uh, uh, you know we, we we will we will suffer uh, yeah. incredibly. Yes, and I think that's a very important point. Tobias, stay with us if you would. We're going to ask you about Afghanistan, Russia, Ukraine, coming up very shortly. Tobias Elwood, Chair of the Defence Select Committee, Conservative MP. Uh, We want to hear from all of you already. I'm getting a lot of calls today uh, from people saying how disgusted they are uh, with what they've seen, what they've heard, uh, and what goes on inside of Downing Street. Because what I can tell you uh, is that it's a very good window, is it not, uh, into the overprivileged, overreaching, uh, overhear types who think that they know better than we do. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Audrey sent us a tweet. Our so-called leaders mock us. They have no fear of the virus, the same virus they've used to scare people witless into submission. I'll never comply with their instructions ever again. Uh, and that's, I would have to say, Tobias, uh, we're talking to Tobias Elwood, uh, pretty representative of quite a few of the tweets I'm getting this morning. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you some respite. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the amazing story earlier this week from the whistleblower in the Foreign Office in which it was revealed that uh, basically the Foreign Office would appear to be like the Marie Celeste, completely kind of bereft of individuals, nobody actually bothering to work in the office. This has been an ongoing problem in the civil service for a long time. I mean, what was your reaction to all of that? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I was a Foreign Office Minister and it was I was really privileged to um, work there. It's a, a great place, talented people, but to it's learn, a beautiful building. I don't imagine why you wouldn't want to go there every day. <laughs> but for a 25-year-old to sort of spill the beans, to say that he was making life or death decisions on his own, you know, abandoned by the leadership has is, is just been quite astonishing. And other testimonies, I think, are now coming out uh, as well. But it does confirm, I think, what many of us have been suspected in time, is that the leadership in the Foreign Office simply was not there during this crisis, you know, just 5% of those emails answered inadequate foreign language skills. We used to be, you know, excel at this sort of thing. Shortage of IT systems uh, as well. And I've called, I think on your program, in fact, for a full independent Afghan inquiry to look at these issues. Because the bottom line is we could, you know, might be obliged to do this again somewhere. And we need to learn these lessons. But I would also add, if I may, that it's uh, indicative of a wider challenge that is uh, affecting the FCO. There is absence of situational awareness. We don't have the swift decision making uh, that leads to the formation of strategies and plans. Essentially, you know, the the leadership uh, at the FCO, uh, what it was famous for is no longer there. It's become too risk averse. Uh, And we play our role on the international stage because that statecraft, that thought leadership is no longer there. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that there are two things going on here, Tobias. One is a kind of a failure to, to understand the way the world has changed and the way that, uh, that, that sort of geopolitics has changed from the Middle East all the way out to Afghanistan and maybe even to China. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the second part, which would appear to be that most civil servants are now more concerned uh, about offending each other and being worried about what language they're using when they're sending emails internally inside the building. You know, so those two things alone have kind of crippled uh, their ability to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I've just put my Christmas cards together. I'm very proud to say Merry Christmas on the front. I, you know, understand that in some cases you no longer can say that. You have to say season's greetings. Yeah. Somebody. We need to move away from that and remind ourselves what Britain can and should be doing. There's an absence of international leadership at the moment. America is seemingly stepping back from the international stage. Authoritarianism is on the rise, as is extremism as well. 
the West needs to come together. We've become too risk averse. We've forgotten what we stand for, what we believe in, you know, what actually brings us together. And our enemies, our adversaries, our competitors are taking full advantage of that. And the only way that we can get better is to link together our foreign, our security, our aid, and our trade initiatives to form the grand strategies that we need. Right now, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute, we don't have a strategy, a coherent strategy uh, about uh, China or indeed in, uh, about Russia as well. We haven't got something that we could sell to our, uh, our allies to say, team up with us so yeah. we can stand very changing threats that we face. No, exactly right. And for all of our kind of um, inability to control what is going on around the rest of the world, and, and obviously there's an understanding that perhaps those days have gone, you know, there is still very much a domestic impact on what it is that our foreign policy does, because we've got people arriving, even as we speak, every single day in dinghies on the south coast of England. Um, and that's as a direct result in many ways of their ability to do so, but also of their uh, of their being displaced from where they live. And so it's like you can't ignore those countries and you can't ignore what's going on there. I'm glad you said that because too often in this debate about what's going on on, on the coast of, of Dover, um, it's all about, oh, let's the criminal gangs, absolutely right, and so forth, and the migration issues. But it's the source of these countries. Mm. You know, Libya, uh, Sudan, uh, Somalia, uh, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan. These are all places that we've been involved with, right. that, we've, that we tried to stabilize and they didn't have the strategic patience to hang in there long enough. And the security and governance have then collapsed. And then people take the very, very tough decision to turn their backs on their very own country to go somewhere else. And I would add that this is going to get a lot worse as we deal with climate change, because there's going to be parts of Africa which is just going to become uninhabitable. And those people, we're going to see migration on biblical scales. We need to wake up and recognize that the West needs to do far, far more and have more strategic patience in helping these countries so that the people, uh, the actual, you know, the indigenous populations are happy and content to stay where they are. Yeah. And also uh, closer to home, uh, we've got the Ukraine situation rising. Uh, Biden and Putin yesterday having a conversation for a couple of hours. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the point of that was. Um, but what's your take on what NATO can do? And if anything, what Britain can do? Really, really good questions there. What NATO and what Britain can do. Let's just put in... To, to perspective operational situation there. We have Russia is actually uh, advancing its military assets, not just 130,000 troops, but it's now moving in its uh, elite forces and its specialist equipment. You don't do that unless you're intent on actually invading. And an invasion does look imminent because Ukraine has never looked weaker. The West has never looked weaker. If you're going to do it, now is the time to actually act. And the only way you can prevent, in my view, is actually by moving our own chess pieces into the vacuum, into Ukraine, supporting uh, our European ally. What we can't do is to sit and wait and then shout really loudly and hope that it'll actually deter Russia. Russia actually exploits weakness. It respects strength. And at the moment, we are, I'm afraid, still looking very, very weak indeed. Make it clear what Russia's uh, strategy is. They're very concerned that Ukraine will one day join the EU, join NATO, and that could easily happen in the next 10 to 15 But isn't years. that what caused the problem in the first place, though? Because when Angela Merkel kind of reached out to Ukraine and said, why don't you come and join the EU? That was when Putin went, hang on a minute, you know, I agreed to sort of uh, let go all of these Soviet satellite states into their own independent countries, but that wasn't so that they could then go and join the EU. 
absolutely right. But then also Russia, uh, in, in the same spirit, was not supposed to then invade parts of Georgia, in South Ossetia, Abkhazia, and the Crimea as well. Mm. So I don't have much of a leg to stand on. What we're seeing here is a democracy, another part of the world, where we are about to relinquish and step back from in the same way that we did in Afghanistan not too long ago. Yeah, which uh, we saw how that badly went so as well. Uh, Tobias, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Tobias Elwood, MP Chair of the Defence Select Committee. Uh, unlike members of the Cabinet, not running away from the questions, not um, saying that he's not going to show up, not saying that, oh, we can't talk to anybody now because you might ask us some awkward questions. You might not like some of the answers he gave, but at least he had the cojones to actually come on and talk about it. Prime Minister's questions today, of course, at midday, uh, in the company of Peter Caldwell, uh, Cardwell, rather. Uh, I don't know why I keep calling him that. Peter Cardwell. Well, uh, our political editor, uh, it's going to be explosive. It's going to be absolutely riveting. It's going to be the number one uh, watched Prime Minister's questions, I think, of all time during Boris Johnson's leadership. Uh, will Sir Keir Starmer make it? Will he break it? Will he do it? Will he represent the people for once and for all? Because the people are in need of representation. We need to find out what the hell went on in that party at Downing Street. Who was there? Why were they there? What did they do? And why? Did they cover it up? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now uh, to Trevor Kavanagh, political columnist at The Sun, former political editor, of course, as well. Trevor, very good morning to you. Hi there. How are you? Very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, one of the things that surprises me about this story, Trevor, is that it doesn't appear to be on the front page of every single newspaper. The Daily Mail have splashed it, the Guardian have as well. Um, I'm told there were quite a few journalists at the party. I wonder if those two matters might be connected. <laughs> uh, I, I've no idea. I wasn't there, and I didn't know about that particular point until you just mentioned it. But I think that the um, the problem with this is once again it's Boris covering up or seeming to cover up. He brushes these things aside until they blow up into major issues and major stories and front page stories. And uh, I think this could have been handled immediately without the sort of um, pain and uh, panic that seems to be going on at the moment. Yeah. In the same way as the um, the Patterson story a few weeks ago could have been sorted mm. straight away. Instead, we've ended up, not for the first time, with Boris with the, driving a car into the ditch. Yeah. And um, I think this is actually becoming more and more serious. Well, this is the thing, because it's always the cover-up that gets them, isn't it? As you say, I mean, he could have come out and said, instead of this ludicrous kind of pantomime, I mean, I was saying uh, earlier to Tobias Elwood, Julia Hartley-Brewer yesterday had Dominic Raab on, and she put it to him, what do you call an event which is held in an office uh, with several dozen people drinking and uh, eating cheese and possibly passing secret Santa presents to one another? And he couldn't answer the question. It sounded more and more ridiculous because you go, well, it's a party, isn't it? You know, you don't call that a business meeting. You don't call it a gathering. It doesn't matter. You, whatever you call it makes no difference. Everybody in the world and in the electorate and the people who voted for you know that it's a party. As I now understand it, Mike, this was the people who were in the office every day, all day with each other. It wasn't people, um, well, I, I, as I understand it, I, I don't know very much about it. So in other words, they were all already pretty much mixing with each other and they more or less sat at their desk. But yeah, but we were told, yeah, but hang on, Trevor, those of us mere mortals who were all mixed together were told that we couldn't do that. So... They can't do it either. I mean, I'm told there's some ludicrous uh, explanation being put out 
uh, by Joshua Rosenberg, which is a sort of typical lawyer's explanation, which is, oh, they're on the Crown Estate. Actually, they can do different things. The behaviour on the Crown Estate. Well, it's not different because they're telling us that there's things we can't do. I'm getting calls from people saying uh, their, their parents died. They couldn't see them because of the lockdown. They cancelled parties. They cancelled Christmases. People had Christmas on their own. You know, it's not acceptable for them to say, oh, it's all right. They were all working together because that's not going to wash. No, and I'm not making any excuses for them because of that very reason. The very fact that people couldn't visit dying relatives during that specific period yeah. is an appalling juxtaposition of uh, um, chaos. Yeah. And uh, as I say, it's not the first time. This is part of an incremental build-up of you, uh, you do what I tell you, I will do what I want. Mm. And this is the, the trademark of the Boris, government, uh, Boris Johnson government. And it's, it goes all the way back to the days of uh, the um, Barnard Castle incident yeah. and beyond. The, the description of Boris as a wobbly supermarket trolley fits perfectly in this context. Well, it does, unfortunately. But also the other problem is this is not the first time, is it? This is not in any way the first moment that this has all happened. And so as a result... Um, the people of this country have seen and had and heard enough, really. And it's the laughter, I think, that, 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 that is the most damaging thing, because it's clear that they're not taking it seriously. And, you know, no. well, we've all worked in and around politics for a long time. And, you know, in newspaper newsrooms, sometimes the humour can be a little bit off colour. Um, and sometimes if that was filmed, people would probably be horrified as well. And I get all that. But the, the point is, this is out there. People are seeing it and they're absolutely disgusted by it. It's very much like the Matt Hancock uh, snogging video, yes. isn't it? Um, it's the sort of thing that, had it not been captured on film with sound, with giggling, um, it might not have been quite so serious. But this is a, a ghastly image by any standards, and it will be very difficult indeed now for Boris Johnson, when challenged in the Commons in a, an hour or so, to explain it away. And as you say, it is incremental. I mean, the other story that's bursting in the background is the... Uh, handling of the Kabul evacuation yeah. only a few weeks ago when the permanent secretary of the Foreign Office was away for three weeks straddling that entire episode. The Foreign Secretary himself was away for 11 days and only came back when being when uh, under pressure. And you've got this amazing uh, diatribe by the young uh, Foreign Office official, yeah. uh, Raphael Marshall, who exposes the chaos, not just over Kabul, but the, the sort of a complacent uh, bureauc bureaucracy that runs throughout Whitehall, but in particular in the Foreign Office, where one 25-year-old mm. is basically left in charge of the evacuation of Kabul. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I just put that to Tobias Elwood. He wants an inquiry. He called for an inquiry anyway before uh, when we saw what happened in Kabul, and so many errors had been made. But again, uh, it's all about what's gone wrong with the civil service in this country, where they seem to be more concerned with sending memos to one another about uh, how, they should, how they should refer to each other and what genders they should be um, assuming about each other, uh, rather than actually how they look after parts of the world which are rather dangerous and possibly threatening to us. And it all stems from the leadership at the top, you know, and it's not just Boris, it's previous prime ministers. But I, you only have to ask yourself, could you imagine the permanent secretary or the foreign secretary at the foreign office going on extended holiday at the time of Kabul mm. under Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher? Not in a million years. No. So no. It, it all, it all, it, the head 
It rots from the head, doesn't it? Well, that's right. And we're now hearing uh, on the grapevine, and I don't know whether you're hearing the same thing, that there could well be an announcement in the next day or two from Downing Street that they want to head into Plan B. Because despite the fact that this new variant doesn't appear to be particularly dangerous, all of the sort of mood music and all of the noises coming out of Downing Street are, oh, we must be very cautious, we must be very aware. I've had to cancel my trip to America. Lots of people are not going away because of what's going on. And meanwhile, um, you know, they're asking us to believe in them and they're asking us to behave in a way which they think we should behave in. Well, this is all out there. Well, I think this time they might get a rude shot because I, th I suspect people are going to take pretty much no notice. Right. What we've got is a, a bug, as you say, which, while spreading very fast, is apparently not a serious or dangerous uh, mutant of the COVID uh, uh, virus. And uh, so far, nobody's been seriously ill as a result of catching it here or in Africa where mm. it started. So I, I think that we are in this sort of state of semi-permanent hysteria over COVID. And it again comes to something when you get um, uh, Theresa May appealing to this government to stop stopping the and mm. starting the economy. Yeah. It's very damaging, not just to the economy, but to the psychology and the mental health of particularly young people in this country. It's horrendous. So I mean, terribly over the last few yeah, days. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm seeing it firsthand with my own children who were looking forward to going away to see their relatives at Christmas for the first time really properly in about three or four years. And now it's not happening, you know, um, and it's unforgivable, really. Um, I mean, and I, and I think this has been I mean, I put out a tweet last night saying is this the final straw really for Boris Johnson? Because I think, you know, as much as he would like to be remembered as Churchillian and uh, the legacy that he has going to give the world that he brought the vaccine into the world and he somehow saved the planet. All of that's gone now, I think. I don't think there's any point in pretending that it's still there. And I think he's now hold below the waterline. I don't know what you think, but I don't think he'll last out 2022. I suspect you're right increasingly, actually, Mike, because we went through the Patterson, the Owen Patterson fiasco. We've had lots of other things happening and we keep saying, well, he's bound to get a grip sometime. And then something like this blows up. And again, we discover, it seems, that uh, it was due to uh, a letter from this guy, Penn Farthing, who evacuated uh, hundreds of cats and dogs from Kabul at a time when human beings' lives were at stake, simply because of a letter or an appeal he made to Boris Johnson's mm. wife, Carrie. Yeah. And that, you know, that why didn't the government simply commandeer that aircraft and put some people on it instead mm. of cats and dogs, many of which were so mangy, they were, they were destroyed before when they arrived in Britain. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you might argue they could have done everything. They could have done it all if there was only one guy in the foreign office. You know, if there'd been more than one person in the foreign office, maybe yeah. they could have actually helped a lot more people than they did. A shocking indictment. Yeah, absolutely right. So today, uh, Trevor, uh, Sir Keir Starmer gets up at Prime Minister's questions. He's famous for not quite killing uh, the, the goose, isn't he? He's famous for missing that final knockout punch. Surely today he can't have a better chance. Well, he's got an open barn door to shoot at here, hasn't he? And... Uh... If he misses this, others will pile in, many of them indeed from the Conservative Party and indeed within the government itself. Mm. I think that people are getting a bit fed up with Boris, actually. And oh, I think that if he doesn't understand what you were just saying a few moments ago, that he may well be walking the plank right now. 
But I think that he will end up uh, an ex-Prime Minister sometime early next year. Yeah, I think his own party will insist upon it, I'm afraid. Trevor Kavanagh, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, political columnist at The Sun, former political editor. Let us just reacquaint ourselves, as I think we should, as we head towards Prime Minister's questions, with that video once again. I've just seen reports on Twitter that there was a Downing Street Christmas party on Friday night. Do you recognise those reports? <laughs> I went home. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Um, uh, uh, Would the Prime Minister condone uh, having a Christmas? <laughs> What's the answer? I don't know. I didn't know. It was cheese and wine. Just Is cheese and wine all right? No. It was a business no. meeting. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> this is recorded. This fictional party was a business meeting. <laughs> and it was not socially distanced. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Really funny. Not socially distanced wine and cheese. Is it uh, being recorded? <laughs> it's pathetic, isn't it? What the hell are these people doing? And what the hell do they think they're saying? And what gives them the right to be so bleeding arrogant? I'd sweep them all out the door right now. Oldfield, Stratton, the whole lot of them. Everyone's sitting there. Everyone laughing. Cheerio. Uh, you're not getting any payoff either. We're paying these people, by the way. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We are the home of common sense, and I tell you what, we are not happy today, and I'm not happy today, and I haven't been happy for a while, to be honest. Um, we've got Prime Minister's questions coming up at midday. Uh, that is going to be a riveting watch. Surely to heaven, Sir Keir Starmer, who, as you all know, I am not in great support of, uh, will use this as an opportunity to absolutely flay the bejesus uh, out of uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. Meanwhile, more and more Twitter uh, chatter uh, is appearing about possible Plan B, press conferences, possible COVID-19 announcements to be made, uh, an awful lot of people saying that it's imminent. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. It's one of the reasons I felt like I had to cancel my trip to America because I knew that these people were planning something else because that's the only thing they seem to know how to do. But let's go to the phones, because I need to talk to some of you good people out there. Angela's in Stone the Wold. Hi, Angela. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Thank you, Michael. Not at all. Yes, um, I'm, uh, I'm just outraged uh, by this Christmas party. Mm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised, so you should be. I lost my mum last October. Um, very, very sudden. Um, all her blood tests and, uh, were put off because right. of COVID, and her endoscopies were put off. And then she was told she had two months to live. Mm. She then went into a hospital and got COVID, and none of the family were able to visit her. That's awful. She died on her own. She was a wonderful mother of four and granny of ten grandchildren. And uh, no one was holding her hand when she died. And I've really struggled with it. And I really have struggled. We all, uh, by, uh, by the rules at her funeral, we had a very, very small funeral for her, which she didn't deserve. She deserved to have so many people there because she was such a wonderful woman. But we all abode by the rules. We had a very short funeral and no wake after. That's awful. 
I'm so and sorry. And I am just disgusted to see this Allegra Stratton laughing. It's awful, isn't it? It's just horrendous. It's so arrogant. It's so disingenuous. And it's and it's really very indicative for me of the way these people think that we can live, you know? Yes. We all have stuck by the COVID rules. And when you hear that they are having a Christmas party where my mum had just died at 77 so suddenly... And we all, the whole family, we only had a small funeral with masks on, with social distancing. To see and hear her laugh about a Christmas party that took on in Downing Street yeah. is just abysmal. It really is. Angela, I'm so sorry. It's, it's incredible um, that you've had the strength to come on and talk about that thank you so much i'll tell you what i'm going to do we're going to we're going to record that clip that send it to boris johnson right send it to allegra strand have a listen to that and see if that makes you laugh Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. Good morning. I'm trying to, I'm going to keep things light. We're going yes. to say it, but we're not going to, you know, break down in tears again. We're going to keep it. Well, it's really tough, isn't it? I mean, really, it happened really to you tough. last week. It nearly just happened to me um, because the woman who was just on the phone there, I mean, so many people have gone through so much. Yeah. And these people are laughing. They are. You they're know? laughing at us. I they're mean, laughing at us. And uh, they're taking our money, by the way. They're all paid by us, these people. Yeah. The Oldfield, Stratton. All of them. And you they know. just, they just, the thing is, kind of, I awoke quite early on and realised that um, they're not, they don't care. They're not worried. And they, they didn't follow the rules. Of course they're not. And I'm very thankful that, that we didn't follow the rules last Christmas because, as you know now, my mother-in-law's not here anymore. Yes. And if I'd followed those rules throughout lockdown, we wouldn't have seen her. Right. And so I am, I'm proud of the fact that I let my common sense come through I looked at the virology I looked at viruses and actually my father-in-law turned up at our house during lockdown and said I'd rather be dead I'd rather be dead than not see you so because what's that, the point but what's the point exactly and what I know but I do know a lot of people only because they called me and told me that they actually were following um, it following it. it I they know did people. They, the people said I spent Christmas on my own I was going to go and see my parents but you know I didn't feel I should because it might be dangerous for I them I know lots of people like loads that. of people did and that. they're all so upset now right. and especially those that lost their loved ones because a lot 
lot of people have lost their loved ones during this time. Mm. And that time that they didn't spend with them will be something that haunts them forever. Yeah. And you have to live with that. You have to live with the fact that yeah. you thought you were being a good citizen. And yet the people who are in charge, you know, all these mainstream media people, the governments of, uh, and, and the politicians of all sides, mm. as we know, have been doing exactly yeah. as they please. And I have to think about that too, because I'm, you know, not now going. I don't think I can go. It's that they've made it so difficult. Um, and it's just too risky. I'm hopeful that my, I'm going to go in February, um, which is my half term next chance we get to go, because I really don't think that this is going to continue. But I have no way of knowing. Just to see your mum in America? Yeah. So you're she's now 97, not... right? Yeah. Um, she's pretty healthy, you know. She's pretty robust. She's a Scottish woman. She Tough. got through the Blitz <laughs> yeah. with Clyde Bank when she was 17, you know. And she is tough, um, but it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It really is, and and you can and totally understand. And my kids understand. are really upset. You know, they wanted to go. It's you know. And you can totally. And understand they've made what... this happen. It's yeah. nothing to do with COVID, right? No. Nothing. Okay, let's just get it. Let's get it straight. I'm not a doctor, so but from what I understand and from all the studies I read, and please correct me, anyone, if I'm wrong. Omicron is is the sniffles. It's a cold. Mm. No one's died of it. No. It's not increasing cases. No one's even hospitals. gone to hospital. And actually, when I was speaking to Dr. Tony Hinton, yeah. he was actually saying this is a blessing. This is a fantastic. Omicron is yeah. fantastic. It's what happens at the end of pandemics when viruses become super contagious, but n not deadly, and so everyone can then get this naturally and then they can um, have the antibodies and then we can get back to normal yeah so I'm really 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 confused about what mm. this thing is about putting plan B in and vaccine passports yeah I just want I'd love wouldn't it be lovely if someone could phone in now yeah. from the government to explain why they think vaccine passports do anything well, do you know, apart we could from have asked, divide society we could have asked Sajid Javid this morning because he was booked to come on Julia's show as he was with every other show yeah but he pulled out and cancelled because not only do they not have any courage or any honesty, they don't have any balls either. Yes, they have no honour. Hiding left. behind the skirts of Downing Street to yeah. say, oh, well, we better not go in case they ask us about the party. Why it's... can't you answer the question? I just don't want... What's wrong with you? What's happened with, with morals, with honour, with resilience, with leading and just being upstanding, proper people? And, and also if you, doing if you... things for the sake of the country as yes. opposed to for themselves. Yes, I think that, that's missing you know? in politics now. I didn't realise how, how weak these politicians are, are or how desperate they are for popularity. So they'll just say whatever they think is going to be popular, whether it's the right thing or not, doesn't mm. seem to matter. So it's, so it's not science that's been putting down all these restrictions it's popularity yeah. and there are unfortunately a lot of people i think britain has gone and the world has gone through a mass hypnosis mm. because of all the propaganda as we know and all the nudge and everything that's gone mm. on people have had mass hypnosis it is a thing it yeah. happens oh, so sure. and so well, everybody there are plenty of people that you can find on twitter and and probably in the street who will say oh but you know it's it's still a, a pandemic it's still very dangerous and we have to be so cautious and that's why i'm wearing a mask and yeah i mean there was a piece on Mail Online yesterday about a new study which came out which supposedly said that the mask protects you um, over 200 times more. And then some about six or seven paragraphs down, it said the study is not really large enough to be considered conclusive. And also, uh, it doesn't, it's not a real world um, study, so actually most scientists would dismiss it. <laughs> and you're like, like so you've on, written the story based on nothing then? On the pack of disposable masks yeah. that people are buying in fortunes that are ending up, as we know, in our oceans, mm. polluting everything, it says 
not suitable against a virus. <laughs> I mean, it says it on the packet. Yeah, so it literally says it just, on the packet. It says yeah. it on the packet. Mm. It does what it says on the tin. It doesn't prevent you from getting or exchanging a virus. It's complete rubbish. Mm. And as we said, Omicron, we must keep trying to give some positivity. If you are frightened of Omicron, it is not... Um, a, a virus from what all the studies are saying, mm. like I said, I'm not a, a doctor or an immunologist, but from all the studies and the data that's coming through, and especially from South Africa, mm. where it started first, allegedly, is it's like a cold, very, yeah. very mild symptoms. There was a party in Norway yeah. where 120 people went, and in order to go to this party, you had to be double vaccinated, right. and you had to do a PCR test before you went. Mm. And at that party, 60 people got Omicron. 60 people got it. They were double vaxxed. Right. So they had a vaccine passports yeah. to get in there and they had to do a PCR test before they get in there. And 60 people got it. Yeah. So it shows you that all of that doesn't work. Well, of course. But... Well, Jamie, um, Jamie and they Jenkins got... remember, was on a, a few weeks ago when he had COVID. He said, but I've got a, a, a double, I've been double vaxxed, so I've got a vaccine passport. I could now go out yep. into any situation that uh, in Wales that, that you would want to go into, inside, yes. outside, whatever, show my vaccine passport, but I've got COVID. Absolutely. So... So it does nothing, and it also has mild symptoms. Let's just to give the joy back, to get rid of people's fear. It is like a cold. And can I just say, Jamie Jenkins has, has this morning put an invitation out to Good Morning Britain oh, yeah. to go on tomorrow yeah. and to talk about the data, the, mm. the real-world data, yes. because unfortunately they seem to be saying things that are not necessarily true there. Mm. I think they, Dr Hillary said that the 90% of people in, in hospitals are unvaccinated, mm. and no one can find where he got this data no. from. So it'd be nice if he could either justify yeah. the data. But they've invited... Invited Jamie Jenkins on. Well, there is, he's a, there is a Why narrative. don't they go? Why, they, yeah. why don't they get him on? And let's have someone who knows about this debating with someone. Yeah, well, Jamie knows his stuff. I have he does. To say. He does. And that's why we discovered him actually. Yeah. Uh, and now he goes everywhere. So yes. that's great. But the fact is, um, we are dealing with a collection of people in the media who, for some reason, want to continue to keep this kind of narrative going. The stories that appeared at the weekend about the people being unvaccinated in hospital was over six months old. Yes, it I was know. Using data. And that was front page of the Times. It was using data from January to, to June. Yeah. And you go, well, that was a long time ago and things were very different then because people were in hospital in that first period of the year. So what do you think the reason is, Mike? I don't I know. I keep asking these I don't questions. Know. Is it because... You keep asking them. I, keep, I you just keep, I I you want ask to me know every week. I do ask you every week because <laughs> it's all very well this stuff's going on. But I want to know why. What... There's nothing done without gain. No. And normally it's follow the money. Yes. So I'm trying to kind of decipher and find out what's going on. Mm. Why would journalists who, who are supposed to, their job is to fight for truth mm. and to tell the public truth, doing the exact opposite now? Well, because Why that's are they not doing what journalism that? is anymore. Now it's all being part of the establishment, right? Because the establishment now is full of people who are privileged, well off, um, you know, uh, all of a certain mindset. Mostly people that voted Remain, mostly people that have never seen a day's poverty in their life, mostly people who are all part of the same club, all went to the same university and all had the same background. So they're all the same people, right? I get that you're what you're saying, that, but I think it's a little bit more sinister than that. I think that some, you know, there's a lot of funds that come in from different bodies into um, newspapers, into television, into these bodies. You know, the BBC gets X amount from this person and that person, and, and those people seem to be the people that are making... Um, maybe the vaccines and things like that. So there is a conflict going on, but it's very difficult to trace the conflict mm. back. And, and that has to be completely translucent. That's what worries me, that people are not being completely honest. If you know what's going on and you can see where people get their funds from, and then whatever's said and done, if you're getting funding from something, it's going to affect how you 
research something and how you talk about Possibly. something. An awful lot of government funding works that awful way, though, lot. where yeah. the government funds Imperial College. Imperial yeah. College sends people from there to SAGE. They then tell the government what they want to hear or they tell the government something else. You know, I get that's that. That's conflicted, that, right? Get, that is conflicted, that right? That I get. Yeah. But it's not, that, that to me has always been going on. It's not necessarily sinister, but the part that's more, more damaging is the journalistic side to me because the journalists used to hold the governments to account and now yeah. they don't. Well, I mean, how many times are you and I, when you hear those question times with the Prime Minister and you're shouting at the screen, I don't care about this, not lockdown harder, why didn't you do it earlier? I'm sick of that question. That doesn't work. It's proved it doesn't work. Those people sitting there with their masks halfway down their faces going, I'm wearing a mask. Yeah, Yeah. but it's not doing you any good, mate. You know, don't bother. It's a big virtue signal. But it's like, you know, this party that we're talking about, you know, there were journalists there. Mm -hmm. We don't know quite exactly who they were, but we know there were some there. And we're going to find out who they were because that may have an impact on whether or not we find out what happened to the story. Because right. if you were at the, at the party, you're not going to write about it. You're absolutely not. Right? But surely, don't you have to sign in to go to Downing Street? Of course. So there is a list there of people that were there. I've already asked Tobias Elwood to ask for the list. Right. 50 people. So I want to know who was there. And because th- we paid for it, we're entitled to ask for it. And do they ever think about what their ramifications mean? So locking down then, and even these restrictions that are coming out now are, are going to have a really dramatic effect on hospitality. I mean, the big guys, the big groups are probably, they're, they're fine. They can they could probably get through it, but it's all the independents. I've been hearing pe- from people now who've had massive Christmas parties cancelled. And the hospitality industry makes its money at Christmas. Well, Christmas is like sort of six months, isn't it, it is. in terms of money? Absolutely. And the thing is, is when they cancel the Christmas party, that's gone forever. They don't suddenly think, oh, our restrictions are over yeah. now in January or February. Let's have a party then. That doesn't, no, doesn't happen. happen no. So that is money lost forever. Mm. And the hospitality industry is... is intricately part of the British culture. Yeah. We like to go out, mm. we like to drink, we like to party. I mean, at the like moment it's still company. quite busy in town, but if it they is. come up with some plan now, which is they work from home or something, that will have a very bad effect on everybody's social life. Right? Horrific effect, but parties are being cancelled now. Yeah. People are, you know, people who have, have, have booked to go out for dinners and things like that, they're cancelling it mm. now because they can't, they can't chance it. And in a lot of places now where you're having to put down deposits in mm. order to make the booking, yes. if you're putting a 20 quid deposit down for, I don't know, 10 people it's a lot of money so they're cancelling them now just in case because it's early enough to cancel so people are suffering it's affecting the hospitality industry Mm. so much of course and I mean this is the thing that the the announcements they made and Saturday the announcement that came out from Sajid Javid without any warning whatsoever suddenly on Saturday at around about 6 o'clock I was sitting at home watching some rubbish on television and suddenly saw this tweet saying from Tuesday at 4am uh, there will now be pre-departure tests from every country in the world back to Britain. I know. My parents... And are... you just go, sorry? But my parents are old yeah. and, and they didn't come last year. I didn't see them at Christmas yeah. last year. It's had terrible knock-on effects on them psychologically. My mum's my dropped further into dementia. My dad is so, so low. Um, and so they're coming this year. So this restriction that they've added now has has given them a panic attack i was speaking to them yesterday trying to calm mm. them down trying to get one of my cousins to go around there to help them fill in the tests to yeah. calm them down you are destroying yeah. the older generation you're destroying also, them and stressful. you don't care it's so, so stressful. stressful i mean so, one of so the reasons stressful. that the american trip is something i don't think i can do is it will just be a nightmare we've got to do 14 tests and that's if nothing changes which i'm not sure it won't yeah um you know and if there is a risk of, of anyone catching it which is possible, or you can get pinged as well now yes, because they pinged. brought that back. So you yep. can get pinged on a plane going yep, yep. over. You got a quarantine over there, you know, five thousand dollars for probably a week in a hotel, maybe two, maybe ten grand for two weeks. I've got a guy that I run into sometimes outside the building who works in the Shah, South African guy. His parents have just come over for Christmas, quarantined. 
it's, hasn't seen them yet. No, it's ridiculous. And then he said he's got another friend whose father is he's got Alzheimer's. He's got about six months to live. He can't get to see him. See, this is this is cruelty. Right. This is cruel. But this they're is, laughing. They're and they're laughing in yeah. their press conferences. Mm. They're laughing. They don't seem to care. And I don't know. Do, do you do you think that they just don't care, or they just because they live in this kind of privileged they're bubble, they do cage. exactly as they no. they've got no idea what's, what cage. how it's hurting no. us, how they it's hurting know. the common they people. They literally don't know. That's why they make these ridiculous rulings and make these ridiculous recommendations because they have no clue. You know, when was the last time you think Boris Johnson went to a, a supermarket? to buy anything or to you know they've got servants that do all that but if, I, if i've got it right then downing street and uh, is still having its christmas party but sainsbury's is what is, is one of the supermarkets that's cancelled all the parties with their staff it's just it's just so wrong and they, they, though they're saying we're not we're not saying anything yet by putting out the fear-mongering a lot of places are already cancelling yeah. everything and so it's like they're seeping the joy out of our lives. Mm. And I've made a decided decision after last week that I'm going to try and pick the joy in everything. Yes, I'm going to try and I'm smiling at people. Listen, let's hope it was cathartic because it was, it was cathartic, cathartic for a lot of people. It was. A lot of people saw it. I mean, you were trending massively that uh, day. I was, um, which I know is not the point. No, but, but, and but I was, I was pretty embarrassed about it, to be honest with you, Mike. But, well, you shouldn't But be. it's exactly you how I felt, I, you know, I feel, and I, and I have to stop myself constantly falling into the dark, dark mm. hole and feeling choked mm. up. You have things all the time. For me, at the moment, I'm having to, I, I feel like I'm walking on, on, on thin ice yeah. because of, I've done my best not to read what happened to baby Arthur. Mm. And he is a lockdown death. Yeah. My mother-in-law is a lockdown death. Yeah. She died of cancer, but it was because yeah. of lockdown that well, she didn't what, get seen you, in time. If you were if you were um, calculating those deaths in the same way they calculate COVID deaths, yes, they oh were lockdown gosh. deaths. It would, I right? think it would. I think it would go into the millions actually yeah, across sure. the world. It would go into the millions. And so I, 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 I am still so upset and angry but I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm okay when I'm upset and angry it's when it really kind of goes mm. into despair that I yeah, have to I stop and I know a lot of people are dropping into despair and that's why I keep saying oh my god it's nothing to worry about it's mm. nothing to worry about please carry on with mm. your daily lives hug your family see your see your children see mm. your relatives and get on with life yeah. and try and put the joy back in because it's almost like we've got you know some kind of Harry Potter character the Dementors yeah. are sucking out the yeah. joy of our life and when we lose all joy and we lose all hope then what's the point of living we have to add the joy back in and we have to stand up for ourselves yes. and make sure that we take every bit of joy out of life yeah agreed absolutely well said tony buxton is here we'll have more from her and me uh, this is talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio tony buxton is here with <laughs> us um Schools. Let's talk yes. about schools because we're, we're hearing, I'm hearing from people that they're being told, their kids are being told, we might have to shut the schools yeah. because there's so many COVID cases. But they're testing these kids constantly, right? No, no. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Well, back to the pandemic. Uh, yeah. the, the lovely makeup lady that just did my hair for me. Thank yes. you. Uh, her daughter's at home today because there's not enough teachers at school. Shortage of teachers. Shortage of teachers because they've been pinged. For the snivels. Let's get this... Uh, Right. If all the data that we're reading and everything that we're seeing, Omicron is 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 has the same effect as, a, as the snivels. It's not even a flu-like virus anymore. It's a cold-like virus. Yes. And so for the snivels, our children aren't being taught again. Children are being sent back home again. And we know. And the thing that gets to me is we know now that people, children, have a safe space at school. There's a lot of children who 
school is where they can mm. relax and breathe see their friends yeah. not be abused right. like poor baby Arthur they're right. being sent back in there sent back home because mm. there's not enough teachers and for what for what reason when are we going to stop this mm. there is no reason to continue with these but that's the point and, and to go back to your earlier point about why are they doing it I just think they they don't have a clue and I know that that doesn't sound as if it's in any way believable doesn't. but I just don't think they have I mean look at them it, it, but they're it, playing a game. I mean, look at Allegra Stratton, right? She thinks it's hilarious, right? She thinks that she's got a great job, which she does, 135 grand a year. Um, very nice, too. Um, gets to go home probably pretty early. I don't mm. even know what job she's got now because she was in charge of COP26 um, briefing. Now that's done. Um, but they clearly... Li because they literally... I mean, I think we've created a class of people in this country which I'm going to call the political class. And in that class, I count some people in the media. Yeah. Um, and they live this kind of bubble-like life. They don't know what real life is like. They They're, don't understand it. They are living in a clique. Yeah. It's a complete clique and they yeah. don't understand. But I think one of the main things that if Boris comes out now and decides that he wants to do Plan B, and in Plan B of vaccine passports, he will have to justify why, why he was doing that. So let's get this very clear, because I'm, I'm part of uh, the Together Declaration, and if anyone else wants to join, it's togetherdeclaration.org. Okay. And you can go and you can sign on there, and, and it's to stand up against vaccine passports. Now, if you, if you are vulnerable, you should have the vaccine, you should have your boost, you should have all of that. But we in this country, in Britain, we don't show our papers. We mm. are not a show your papers. No. This is not the way our and I law won't has show. gone. And I, exactly, I won't show them either. When we did it last time, right, um, and I'm not giving away any secrets, I went to places where they weren't asking for them. Yeah, absolutely. Because there were plenty. But let us I just want the logicness to be spelt mm. out because there's so many people that call me an anti-vaxxer, a denier, all these things that I am, allegedly. But I just want what, to have a conversation with these people to explain. So this virus... Does not, the vaccine does not stop you from either getting COVID or transmitting COVID. Right. It might stop you from dying from COVID. May if you are, you know, if you are older. If, if you're, you're elderly, so you've it's got not, more chance of surviving. This party in Norway, mm. where the 120 people went, they were all vaccinated. Mm. They had vaccine passports, and they all had to do a PCR test. 60 people got mm. the Omicron. Um, Strain. And, and even go and, to hospital? And, and none of them, no, they all had snivels. Right. So why are we trying to introduce something that is going to affect hospitality, that's going to give a two-tiered society, which is, you know, we've got such polarism in, mm. in the world now and in Britain yeah. now. Why would you introduce something that's going to cause harm to your people yeah. when it has no benefits, no logical, logical sense? It makes no medical no. logical sense. It makes no logical sense full stop. Why are you going to come in and do that? What is the reason? Mm. If you're going to come out and say this, Boris, then you have to justify why. Yeah. And I don't believe there is a justification. No. Well, the best we could get from the beginning of the weekend was basically that Boris last time was given a hard time for not doing anything quickly enough. So he decided to do something before somebody gave him a hard time. And actually, that makes sense for him because he's such a populist. He wants to be popular. He hates being unpopular. He hates changing his mind. He hates having to go back on something that he's decided, which is why he's been telling everyone that this wasn't a party and he's been denying it until right now. Today, I think he'll have to admit it was He's a not party. allowed to deny it in Parliament, right? Well, he can't. Well, well, he sort of, well, he sort of did last time. You know, there's been there's been denial after denial after denial and he just hasn't talked about it. But if it's proved, surely he'll have to resign then. Well, you would think so. I don't, you know, the thing is, though, Mike, I, I'm worried about what else gets in. You know, but things maybe get de proved. better the de devil we know. And yeah. we know that. Well, I think Liz Truss would actually make a pretty good prime minister. Yeah. I think she well, seems to have a reasonable amount of um, uh, of seriousness about her. Well, She's is, she, done... is she a conservative? Would she be a conservative prime minister? Because what's all I know is that, you know, we, 
they're supposed to be not for the state running. You know, mm. Labour is for the state running yeah. your life, and the Conservatives are for you as an individual yeah. running your life. So well, we you know haven't what they had need that. To do? They need to get in. Somebody needs to get in and say to Sage, "You lot, get out. Get out." Just get out. But that's the question I keep now. asking. Who hired Sage? Who said that we should take advice from Sage? Why hasn't uh, Carl Hennigan and uh, Sunita Gupta, why haven't we been taking advice mm. from them, which seems very reasonable, logical, well, again, moral advice? We go back to the funding and the Imperial College and Sage. Sage were apparently working inside of Downing Street for a long time before this happened. Yeah. Because I've spotted this whole kind of nudge thing, which you and Laura talk about, where you'd get that story in the Telegraph that yes. said, you know, if you drink one glass of wine a week, you will stave off cancer. Or if you drink two glasses of wine a month, you'll be living until you're 100. You know, all of this kind of, you know, yeah. health yeah, yeah. advice that they were giving. And it was all coming from Sage. Yeah. They, yeah. These, these, you know, the chief it, governmental medical officer was giving out that kind of advice. Before COVID came along, that was the kind of stuff they were doing. But where does Imperial get its research funding from? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but well, I would imagine I they get some from the government. They get some from the government. And they probably get some from Pfizer, I yes, would imagine, exactly. probably. <laughs> there you go. A few pharma companies, you know. So surely, surely Bill they're Gates. conflicted. Exactly. Surely they're conflicted because they're not going to go against the hand that feeds them. Mm. It's very difficult to get money in for research. And so they have to kowtow to what their funders yeah. are saying. Not, not an, It's not written on a paper anywhere, but it's a known thing. If yeah. that's what you do, that's yeah. what you do. All I can tell you is that here at the Independent Republic, we are independent. We are. Uh, and we say what we like. Nobody tells us what to say. Uh, so there we are. That makes us unique. It does make us truly unique. And, you know, I come here and I do feel better because I feel that I'm having well, a conversation feel, well, with well, the same person, today, the same person. Today you have, 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 have um, sort of, you know, done what I normally do and you've cheered me up. I'm very glad so to hear you. that. Very thank glad very to much. hear that. Tony Buxton will be back, of course, same time next week. We'll, pay, uh, we'll be back shortly with Prime Minister's questions and much more besides. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Rory the Vet and get some uh, different opinions about different things because uh, I know some of you are probably sick to death of hearing about politics, but let us talk instead about dogs because... Um, you might be better off putting Ziggy the dog in charge of the, the country because all he would do is order a load of food for people and make them all have a very nice time and there'd be a lot of stroking going on. Uh, but Rory's here because apparently dogs can understand more than 200 words and phrases. Rory, very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing? Very, very well indeed. Thanks for giving us some respite from the madness of Westminster because uh, while we can talk about dogs, uh, we don't have to talk about Boris Johnson. Um, this comes as no surprise to me, right? Because my dog certainly understands a variety of words, most of which involve food. But I mean, his favourite, I think his favourite word in the world is lamb. When we say lamb, his eyes kind of light up in a way that it quite, it's quite unusual. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think all dog owners will, will be aware of, and I don't think it will surprise that many people. Um, I mean, the, 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 my dog doesn't know words particularly that well. Uh, she's quite stubborn, but the fridge opening, she knows uh, every time. Yes. And what about the way that you can get them? Because I've read before that, that you can sort of teach dogs words in the same way that, that children learn them as, as, as babies and toddlers, that, you know, the more uh, you speak to them in a particular tone of voice, they can actually learn a vocabulary. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it's always been sort of thought that dogs are more likely to pick up words if they are one or two syllables. Anything longer than that, they're going to struggle with. And exactly as, as you reference, very similar to kids, really. Yeah. Um, and so I think this study that you're referencing actually showed that uh, on average, if we if average it across the board, it was 18, uh, 89 words, I believe. Um, I think if I read it right this morning. Yes, that's right. Um, 89 words, all phrases. Right. So, I mean, I've got clients that come into me and, and I think vets and people who work with animals and dogs will, will know 
there are some dogs that will absolutely be above average mm. and then there's some dogs that won't really won't be and unfortunately my dog who is sleeping right in front of me <laughs> um, is definitely below average um i think it probably has breed specificities as well and, and i think if they were to break it down and look at specific breeds there'll probably be breed averages that are different i mean for example border collies classically used mm. as herding dogs they probably have a higher vocabulary and a higher ability to learn vocabulary than other dogs. Right. And I mean, as far as waiting to kind of, um, I mean, I suppose depending on what the dog does as well. I mean, if you've got a dog that's maybe a sniffer dog, it might learn different words or different, you know, phrases than a dog which doesn't really do that. Um, you know, my dog, you know, it's very, you know, we, we, we sort of joke that he's not very bright. But I mean, he's incredibly um, loving. He's incredibly sort of um, emotionally intelligent as well. What, what breed have you got, mate? Labrador. See, Labrador, so exactly, I mean, particularly working Labradors, they're actually probably more intelligent than we give them credit yeah. for. They, he's, not, they he's, not much classic... good at, he's not much good at working, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> they have that classic sort of gormless Labrador look, don't yeah. they? The classic puppy eyes and yeah. that slightly derpy, I don't know what's going on. Right. But actually, he's probably Rain Man under that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, yeah, so different dogs will learn in different ways as well. And, and very much speaking from my own point of view, it might be that some dogs like Labradors, you have to use food. They are they're ruled by their stomachs, as yeah. you'll very rightly know. Yeah. Um food has to probably come into play when they're learning words. So they for example, hear the word lamb, they get some lamb, mm. they're gonna remember the word lamb. Yeah. Um equally it might be they hear the words beef or chicken or dinner or right. uh, for some dogs it might be actually walks and, and, and tennis balls and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it might be actually words like ball or frisbee yeah. or walk or yeah. park. Um, he definitely reacts. The... He definitely reacts to walkies. He definitely reacts to fox um, because he lives in the country. So there's quite often a fox appears in the garden and he goes absolutely right. bonkers and tries to jump out the window. Right, and I think if there's something to associate that word with, often that that helps cement that knowledge. Oh. Um, and often when it's a positive reinforcement, we will clearly see a better association in those cases as well sure and presumably they also respond to the tone of voice that you're using as well because i know that some people are i mean in my case i, I he will do more what i tell him um without me having to be particularly aggressive but if if, if you know the mother of my children tries to get him to do something he doesn't always respond absolutely and and that goes for two two there's two reasons for that number one some dogs just just respond better to men and some dogs just respond better to women oddly anecdotally it's probably female dogs respond better to men and male dogs respond better to women okay. oddly um but sometimes they just need that that dom that slightly more dominant or lower tone as right. well so that's why it's sort of that man's best friend and they sometimes listen to, to men better in certain situations and women better in certain situations right. is because of the tone of our voices but absolutely as you said you say walkies and you probably go walkies yeah and get and have that excited yeah. reflection on that word that's probably a response to that tone more than maybe a response to the word. Because if you right. said uh, car time or right. anything in that sort of any phrase in that, that, that excited tone, you'd mm. probably get the similar response. Right. I mean, my dog's not doing that because she's literally sleeping and she has no, no response yeah, to any of this. They but, do sleep uh, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you what we started doing lately, which is a bit mad, right? Um, but we noticed, as you do, I mean, he's seven now, so it's not like we only just noticed, but you know how their ears kind of move backwards and forwards depending on what's going on and what their mood is and all that. So I've started doing this thing where I just pretend to have dog ears. And, like, say, so I've got dog ears, and, and he kind of really responds to it. He jumps up, he gets very excited, and we sort of flap our hands about and pretend that we've got ears like a dog. And he seems to really enjoy it. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I, I I definitely have dog mannerisms. I mean, I've I've been known to get on the floor and all fours and like yeah. sort of wag and like play that do yeah. that sort of play bow kind right. of thing. Um, so that sort of behaviour. I mean, 
they're, they're natural behaviors that they're looking for in other dogs. They're things they understand. I mean, all their communication with humans is completely learned. Remember? Mm. Their innate ability to read behaviors and read things is absolutely dog to dog. So, so I mean, there's two interesting points off the back of this. Number one, I suppose, and I'm, I'm very much digressing here, so stop me if, if, you, if you want to stick on this topic, but, but brachycephalic breeds like pugs and Frenchies actually often don't get on with conventional breeds such mm. as Labradors and other dogs because they can't read their faces because they're ah. so smushed because okay. humans have broken them. Right. And number two, particularly, and, and not meaning to bring up COVID, but over the, the mask era, and particularly in the vets, I've had way more dogs be more nervous and, and struggling sure. to sort of come to terms with being in the vets and, and, and they're definitely more reserved mm. because we've got masks on yeah. and they're so about facial expression and 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 uh, and reading humans that actually masks have been really detrimental for behaviors in dogs yeah well there'll be somebody calling them lockdown deniers next you better be careful you better get into the political uh, political <laughs> <laughs> jungle there but i mean i mean i guess the, the thing to, to remember here is just to continue to to talk to the dog. I mean, most people who've got dogs have had at least one embarrassing moment where you're kind of walking in a field talking to the dog and then suddenly somebody comes around a corner and you go, yeah, well, of course I was on the phone or something, you know. But I mean, just, <laughs> but talking to them improves your relationship with them, basically, right? Absolutely. And, and and just like any relationship, dogs are as close to humans as, as animals are ever going to get. Mm. They, they, they respond to us in a very human way. They respond to us in, in, in conversation. They respond in, in the way they want to do things for us. They know what we're asking them to do. Mm. I, I have clients whose dogs watch the TV and, and genuinely sort of react to the conversations and the situations. You hear about these amazing things that dogs understand, and I think we probably do give them very little credit for actually how much they understand. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Well, Rory, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Rory the vet there telling us why so many dogs have so many words and phrases that they can recommend uh, and they can re- and they can register and that they can actually recognise as well. So um, if you have got a dog, um, give it a cuddle. And try out, I promise you, try out the, the doggy ears thing. It's quite funny. It's quite interesting what, what it actually does. Uh, but we will be taking more of your calls coming up soon. Ian Collins will be here taking us through the afternoon because we are literally on the brink here, uh, we believe, uh, of some kind of government announcement, uh, some kind of announcement about possibly moving to Plan B. At the moment, Downing Street are denying it. There's an awful lot of chatter on Twitter suggesting uh, that basically it is going to happen. It could happen as soon as this evening. Um, and if that is the case, what will you do? Because if you're told to work from home, you might not want to. If you're told to work from home, you might decide that's a good thing. If you're told to produce a vaccine passport to go somewhere, are you going to bother? Are you going to, if you run an organisation, if you run a restaurant, if you run a place where they're going to ask you to do it, are you going to do it? I think a lot of people, after what we've seen with this video from Allegra Stratton and her colleagues in Downing Street, are going to just go, you know what? Get stuffed. We're not doing it. Thanks. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.